Welcome to What Healthy Couples Know That You Don't, a podcast dedicated to helping you create the relationship you truly want. And now, here's your host, licensed psychotherapist, Rhoda Mills Summer. Episode 37, Porn Addiction. And I have here David Jomvier. And he has a wonderfully interesting background. He was a caseworker at Child Protective Services. And, of course, unfortunately, there were lots of sexually abused children that he worked with. Then he moved into outpatient therapy, uh, brought in working with sex offenders. And for over a decade, he has been in private practice working with sexual dysfunction, desire, arousal, orgasmic, and pain disorders. He also works with couples and their sexual dysfunctions and sexual trauma. Thanks so much for being here today. I so appreciate it. Uh, I'd like to begin by asking you to define porn addiction. Sure, uh, and thank you for having me. And uh, I love this kind of work and love helping people navigate through that. And so, yeah, a, a big part of what I work with is sexual addiction. And so when we're talking about any kind of addiction, we're really looking at do, do people really fit a criteria of something being addictive? So when we're looking at criteria, especially like in how people are using pornography, we're really looking at are they using it more than they want to? Uh, or is it interfering with their functioning? Uh, are they having consequences as a result of using it, like impact on relationship, loss of time at work, getting fired from your job because you're looking at pornography on the computer? Um, and so we're looking at how long people are using it, frequency. Um, does it kind of spiral in terms of the type of intensity? Uh, like some guys I've worked with um, – look at it pretty frequently and they masturbate to their raw and bleeding. And so we're looking at how it kind of spirals and how you may need more in terms of time or in frequency. Uh, but we're also looking at, I want to stop, but I can't stop or periods I stop, but then I find myself back into it. But then periods of sobriety, then we'll, you'll also experience withdrawal symptoms. Wow. I always thought that, you know, it's kind of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, feeling good fast is, is I think, part of what underlines it. Getting that, the brain working with the serotonin levels. And it, it's such a powerful thing in the brain. It is. It is. And it's all about neurochemistry as well. And so, yeah, just like any addiction, there's a hit in the brain. And uh, so we all have this natural opiate called dopamine in our brain that hits the nucleus accumbens, which in generic language is called the uh, reward center. And so you're right. Uh, so people are using sex or pornography um, in a way to escape or to medicate or not to feel. Uh, so it is used like drugs or alcohol in terms of altering mood. Wow. When, when does pornography cross the line between acceptable entertainment and when is it problematic? Yeah, and I know there's a lot of uh, controversy around this because uh, some people in the field and even just in general culture uh, see pornography as being some uh, form of entertainment and others see um, oftentimes as it's looking at that it's never acceptable. And so I sit with uh, what is sort of the neurological impact of that. Um, so I kind of fall and lean more towards uh, – uh, pornography has an impact on the brain, uh, even if it's not impacting a person in a way 
that is addictive. Uh, and we can talk more about sort of the, uh, the, the brain impact of, of looking at, at pornography. Uh, but I see that in many ways, porn affects the brain in negative ways, even if it's not considered um, addictive or that you meet the addictive criteria. I think what always worries me is that it'll interfere with someone wanting the messiness of sex in real life with another human being. Absolutely. And this is one of the challenges that we're facing because I get a lot of young guys coming in uh, to my practice who have erectile dysfunction. So guys in their 20s experiencing this, which, you know, you normally don't get that typically into guys right. who are older, 40s, 50s, 60s, and, and, and older. But what's happening is, is that pornography is really impacting the brain to where the sexual arousal template is getting paired with what's happening on the images uh, with pornography. And so it really inhibits them from really performing with a live female where um, or another partner um, to where you have have to engage emotionally and psychologically. That's amazing. I like how you put that pair, you know, that there's something about that fast, less messy screen mm-hmm. that is more engaging with the uh, for the person who gets addicted. Right. Because when we look at when we look at sexuality, we're looking at more than just this dopamine hit or just a physical experience. But we're also looking at aspects of intimacy in terms of the psychological and the emotional connection with a partner. And as we were talking earlier in this digital age, it's really true. People don't even text. I love you sometimes the first time Mm -hmm. Uh, they text it. I mean, they don't say the words and look somebody in the eyes. So the the digital culture certainly has a huge impact. And it certainly does. And if I can just share a little bit about Please. sort of how culture has shifted. So we've really gone from a print-based culture to more of an image-based culture. Images impact the brain very differently from the, from the printed word. So when we're reading something, there's more of an immunization from seduction, and there's more ability for our, our brains and for us to discern sort of true or false, right or wrong, moral, immoral, those kinds of things. Not so with images, because images use different parts of the brain, and images are based in stereotype. And so a stereotype always have has a viewer in mind. And so it's not as much as images um, are telling the truth, but the more and more we see an image, the more it claims to be true. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. And when somebody reads or there's erotic literature, they're using their imagination, which they could bring into the relationship with another person. But there's no imagination required with images. Mm -hmm. And then that being with a real person gets kind of, ew. Right. And then we talked about that pairing in the brain. So there's this axiom in neuroscience called what uh, what fires together wires together. Yes, yes. And so now we're having these images paired. But with reading around it, uh, then you can project in your own creativity and, and imagination into that. Wow. That's really an interesting point. When should someone be worried about their partner's consumption of pornography? Yeah, I get a lot of spouses uh, come in uh, or partners, uh, whereas they're discovering um, their uh, partner's uh, sexual um, use of uh, pornography. And what I find is that um, 
there's some worrisome around it because what happens with the partner in discovering that is that they're really impacted in a traumatic way. And so usually what happens is, is this trauma happens uh, and then they come in and now there's this process around how the partner is feeling betrayed, traumatized, I'm not beautiful enough or good enough or my appearance isn't what you want. Um, and so it really shatters their, their world. And that's what I see is a, a, the greatest impact on a, on a partner who discovers that who they're in relationship with is using pornography. The reason why I take that position uh, is because of the effects on the brain. So we talked about the pairing yes. um, of that. We talk about how it uh, produces uh, sexual dysfunctions, erectile dysfunction in men, um, a lot of pairing of those images. Uh, it impairs the way that couples can then really connect on the emotional, psychological uh, level of that. Um, it impairs a partner and how they feel about themselves. Um, but also just in how the brain uh, processes images that we referenced a little bit earlier is that with pornography and, and any type of image, but more specifically with pornography, what's happening is is that you know a viewer is looking at the images on the screen in pornography. It's being imprinted on the brain, being stored as memory, but then it's recalled as fact. And what we know, a lot mm-hmm. of what's being displayed in pornography is not reality. That's for sure. What are so you've also described a lot of disadvantages. Does it seriously interfere with sexual relationships in real life? I think we talked about some of that, but is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I, I do see it in my practice um, and how it really disrupts uh, trust in a relationship. Uh, it impairs the spouse that, in essence, has been betrayed. Um, Many of the spouses that feel betrayed by this, I can diagnose with PTSD. Uh, So now she or he is now showing symptoms of of trauma. Uh, So that is a long time in terms of processing that trauma, restoring the trust in the relationship. But then it's also what has been underlying uh, in their relationship and what the relationship has been built on. So his or her whole world is shattered um, by the pornography use. And in fact, even though if someone is just using pornography and they haven't gone outside their their relationship in terms of affairs, uh, there's still the sense that I've been sexually betrayed or cheated on. Okay. What can be done to help a couple if one member of the couple sees it as a problem, even if it's not an addiction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a great question, and that really builds on what we've already been discussing in terms of hey, get into therapy and, and, and work with someone that can help you navigate what are the, un, like the, like the foundation or the core issues of where you are disagreeing around uh, the use of that in your relationship or not. Um, and so, like I mentioned, the, the one that's having the issue with it is probably traumatized. Yes. And that would need to be worked uh, through. Okay. What advice would you give a couple who has no real sex life together, but the addicted partner is spending a lot of alone time masturbating while watching porn? Yeah, and I'm sure that partner is feeling really abandoned. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so we would work with, you know, is this person who's looking at the pornography, is it considered addiction? Uh, what are the drivers that's driving, you know, him or her? Generally, it, it's a him, but there's more increase of females looking at pornography now. Um, but generally, we want to find out what's driving him, but also looking at the relationship and what – 
had um, put this wedge to where there's this uh, separation to where he has to go to porn. Um, what's the, the dynamic around it? Oftentimes when I'm working with couples and they're coming in, um, the usually the female spouse who's betrayed looks at the husband and his um, uh, his addiction as being the sole problem of all of their marriage. But I try and sit with that. And as we're doing repair, peel it back and saying, there's this dynamic that has been co-created with both of you that has been there before this addiction has come out. And so I try and focus on more of those core relational issues. Can you suggest any online resources that people could use to learn more about the impact of pornography on the brain? Yeah, absolutely. There there are some great YouTube clips around this. And uh, two particular that I would like to uh, mention is uh, one is called What Are the Effects of Porn on the Brain? And it's done by um, Dr. Valerie Voon um, at Cambridge University, University uh, in the UK. And she's actually used uh, MRI scans uh, to show wow. uh, what's happening in the brain as these men are in these MRI scanners uh, looking at pornography and what's going on with it. Wow. Uh, yeah. That so sounds it, really cool. Yeah, the neuroscience, uh, you know, technology and advancement of that is just, it's just amazing stuff. Uh, another one, uh, TEDx uh, Glasgow has done one with uh, called The Great Porn Experiment by Gary Wilson. Uh, that's another uh, great one. But there, there's many great ones out there that, that you can search. Uh, another one, I said two, but here's a third one, Good. Uh, would be uh, this young guy who had a porn addiction. He had uh, erectile dysfunction. His name is Gabe Deem. And you Google him or look on a search engine for YouTube uh, for Gabe Deem, D-E-M. And he gives his testimony or kind of, you know, narrative around what has happened to him and why he gave up porn. Uh, So it's a great, uh, you know, uh, person voicing his experience around that. I saw that in a workshop that I did with you, which is why I invited you on the podcast. That's right. And it, it, all three of those are really tremendous resources, and I'm so glad that my audience has a chance to follow up if there's more interest. For those seeking to spice up their sex life without reverting to pornography, what would you suggest? Yeah, and I usually get this question and uh, these dynamics as couples have been married for a while or in partnership uh, for a while. And uh, and I think the number one thing is that couples don't take the time for it is foreplay. And so it takes some effort to build up the excitement, especially as we age. And so, but oftentimes foreplay is the first to go. <laughs> That's really a good point. Uh, one of the things, one of the things I do mention to my clients on my uh, sexuality page, I have nine erotic movies. And one of my clients said, "Porn? You're telling us to watch porn?" And I said, "No, these are movies that you could pay and go to the the theater for. So they are totally erotic, but they're." They it might help just get some of that energy flowing, um, and I talk a lot to people about, uh, particularly women. Unfortunately, anticipate sex in a positive way and not as a chore or as dread, you know. But that there, it, it's a lovely way to make connection with your partner. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you're making a really good point because, you know, our primary sex organ isn't our genitals. (laughs) You know, it's our brain. And so if those emotional pieces, the psychological, the emotional connection isn't there, uh, then the excitement isn't going to be there because really orgasm happens in the brain. 
Yes, that's right. Uh, Susan Sontag said the brain is your biggest erogenous zone. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, in my practice and in the literature, I found there's a big fascination with novelty right now. It's what explains polyamory to me, which I'm getting more and more people coming in and talking about. Um, How does pornography play into this interest with novelty? Oh, it's a huge role because novelty is what keeps the addict going back and back and back. And there's anything that you can think of paired with sexuality is out there on the internet. And so it's this constantly seeking for something different, something giving me a greater high. Because when we think about it, you know, back before the internet, there were like Playboy or Hustler magazines where you had to go to a particular type of um, part of town to get it. There was effort. There was, um, you know. Yeah, that's right. You right. had to work for it. You had to work for it. And now with the internet, then it's quick novelty constantly, all the time, all the time, all yes. the time. And the brain likes what's new and novel. Yes. And so it's going to be constantly seeking that out. And that's what makes it so addictive. And so back when you had a Playboy, then once you kind of, you know, consumed it, so to speak, then you um, were done with it. <laughs> You know, or when you went back to it, it didn't have the same kind of level of intensity of, of the feel good or the hit. Wow, that's a great point. What fetishes are most popular on porn sites? Anything out there can be a fetish, and it is on the internet. Uh, but I think uh, statistically, the most, um, the highest uh, fetish would be a foot fetish or a shoe fetish. Uh, And then subsequent to that would be like leather. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But anything can be a fetish. I mean, I worked with a guy who his fetish were cigarettes. Cigarettes got him aroused and that's what he masturbated to. Um, But anybody can have have a fetish um, with anything. Uh, So panty fetishes um, would would be there. Uh, But generally anything can be. Okay. You mentioned earlier that women are not as big a percentage, but it's growing. Is there Are there any numbers about that? Yeah, and it's, it's kind of hard with the statistics because we can only yeah. get the statistics that are captured yeah. like, clinically. Yeah, I was thinking. Um, but when I mentioned about we're, we have moved from a print-based culture to more of an uh, image-based culture, what we're looking at now is that women's brains are becoming more and more uh, image-based in terms of visual stimulation now. Uh, and so there has been an increase with females looking at pornography. And I would say probably around, you know, like the higher 20 percentile to maybe even 30 percent um, of women probably consume pornography. Okay. So is anal sex as popular in the real world as often as it's portrayed in pornography? Yeah, so anal sex, yeah, and it's definitely something that uh, is very much in pornography, and I think as a result, then uh, people are desiring to explore anal sex uh, more, Um, and so there has been an increase in terms of of, of anal sex. Um, I was looking at some statistics on this uh, recently, and and it's interesting because this one uh, website I looked at broke it down into age brackets, right? And so what we're looking at is the older you are, the least likely you are going to have anal sex. So we're looking at more of a college crowd that are are highly uh, engaging in anal sex in terms of a higher percentage of females uh, looking at eight, uh, at uh, looking at engaging in anal sex in terms of twenty three percent of women in like the early twenties are engaging ah. it more. Okay, um, so 
this comes from a uh, an experience my husband and I had. We were in, on Broadway, and there was a baseball play, and the men all lined up to sing a song, and they were all very well endowed. And my, my daughter had refused to come to the play with us, and my husband leaned over and said to me, thank goodness she didn't come. She'd have unrealistic expectations the rest of her life about <laughs> men. And so it makes me think about... When young people watch pornography, does it set up unrealistic expectations about body images and sexual practice? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, most of the images on pornography are people who spend a lot of time building and sculpting their bodies, um, yes. how they look. Um, and I think, you know, you look at the, the bell curve on sort of the – the uh, average size, penis size uh, of, of things. Yes. And then I think, uh, you know, they always get the outliers in <laughs> <laughs> yes. pornography. You know, they, they say that for females, breast size are only two sizes. And for males, uh, penis sizes are only one size. Yes. And so for females, they're either too big or too small. And for males, it's always it's too small. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so, so there's a lot of body image uh, issues. And I think, you know, culturally, I think uh, females uh, have generally struggled with body image issues. Absolutely. But there's an increase in male body image issues, uh, body dysmorphic disorders being diagnosed uh, more so in men. There's a whole lot more cosmetic surgeries going on for men now in terms of like pec implants, calf implants, oh. penis augmentations uh, as a result of seeing these images because they're looking and they're feeling less than or inadequate in their own bodies. Wow. How long has pornography been a part of Western culture? Well, I think uh, some people could say pornography has been in existence since time, right? But, yeah. but when we're looking at some of the history around this, we look at Pompeii back in 79 AD where when they did excavations um, of that um, where they found sexually explicit frescoes or sexually explicit images on pottery, uh, th those kinds of things. There's uh, sculptures uh, that were found. And it's just interesting because when they did a lot of that excavation was back in the Victorian age where a lot of what they knew around those things were suppressed because of the era in which it was discovered. Yeah, I bet that's true. <laughs> How does pornography impact society as a whole and where do you see it headed as part of our culture? And that's a great question because we're sort of in this porn experiment, right? So yeah. we have a whole generation that sort of have grown up with looking at pornography. In fact, there was that researcher in Montreal uh, that wanted to do a study on pornography in the brain and young males, and uh, he couldn't get a control group. He had to scrap his whole design because he couldn't find a group oh of 20-something-year-old males that have not had been exposed uh, to pornography. Uh, and so it's sort of this unknown right now. But what we are looking at in terms of some studies on how uh, pornography uh, is pairing with, with violence, and especially in males, uh, we're looking at pornography degrades women. We're looking at the contribution of pornography in terms of the sex trafficking industry. So when we think about society, then we're really looking at uh, how is it that this is impacting on the way that we do relationships, intimacy, but how we have care and compassion for each other. And I think that that has been in, in decline. 
I so appreciate you being here, David. It was really informative. I learned things today myself that I think will be helpful to clients, and I'm sure my audience will benefit from your being here. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome, and I loved being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to What Healthy Couples Know That You Don't. If you have enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes and help get the word out. To learn more or connect with Rhoda, visit therapyideas.net.